0: Hey guys, uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I am one of the pastors here at Marsfield Community Church. Jess, thank you for those doing those two mammoth readings. It was such a great job. I'm going to pray as we look at these two passages, these uh, two chapters. So why don't we do that? Let's pray. Father God, I pray as we look at your word today that you would speak to us wherever we're at. Give us a greater vision of who you are, what you have done for us, and what you want us to be. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Oh, man! What I want you to do now is go to the chat very quickly and and type in if you could uh, describe the God of the Bible or God using only one word, what would it be? So So go to the chat, one word to describe God, what would you put? Okay, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to do that. Okay so we've got some some powerful holy gracious grace and hope love omnipotent awesome powerful superhero grace so we've got a bunch of great words there and all of those i dare say you can find in the bible right and i dare say if you if you ask most people how they would describe god they would say something like powerful or they would say almighty or they would say loving or forgiving But if you have a look at the Bible, the way God is described in almost every book of the Bible, he's described this way more than any other way he's described, and that is one word, holy, holy. It's not a word that we use much today today holy, I was actually, I I, uh, put holy into YouTube. And one of the first things that came up was Rowan Atkinson uh, doing this kind of English, quaint English minister. And he said, holy, and he made the words just sound so archaic. But the Bible describes God as holy. And can I just say this? The holiness of God is the skeleton key to unlocking who God really is. If you want to understand the whole Bible, the God of the Bible, you've got to understand first and foremost, that God is a holy God. And I would say, if you want to understand the book of Joshua, the first thing that you've got to understand is that he is a holy God, but especially the passages we're looking at today, Joshua 7 and 8. If you want to understand this passage, you have to understand that he's a holy God, because especially at the end of chapter 7, he he just looks so brutal. and yet. If you understand that he's a holy God, you will go, I I understand what is happening here. What is holiness though? Holiness is God's moral perfection. That on a moral level, he is perfect in every single way. That he never does, says, or thinks anything wrong. But he does says and thinks only things that are right and good. But here's the thing. The flip side to that holiness is, is his hostility towards anything that is bad, anything that is evil. And we're going to see that hostility here today. Today we are going to encounter a holy God. And the as I said before, and the only way we will get this God is if we remember that he is a holy God. So we're going to see two things today. In the first, uh, the first chapter, we're going to see a holy God and sin, and the second uh, chapter, we're going to see a holy God and His people. Let's have a look at a holy God and sin as we look at um, Joshua chapter seven, verse one. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, Qum- the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the, from of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now, if you remember, if you want to hear from, uh, from last week, uh, what we saw last week is that the Israelites attacked Jericho. And if you have a look at chapter 6, verse 18, uh, grab your Bibles and have a look at, uh, at it with, with me. What they were meant to do as they attacked the city of Jericho, they were meant to, as it says in verse 8 or 18, keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold, the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So what God had said is all the things that were silver and gold and, and precious you aren't to take for yourself. It's they're devoted to God. If you take it into your own tent or anything, what that is going to bring destruction on on uh, Israel, and unfortunately, that's exactly what happens. So God's anger because of Achan's sin burns against the whole of Israel, not just Achan. And so, how do we see that that happening? Well, in verses four and five, they attack I, this place which, in in Hebrew, it's always called Ha'ai or the ruin, I literally means ruin. So it, it, it's just this, this place which is uh, kind of a ruin, but with some people there, it's a very small place and yet they get they get destroyed. And verses six to 12, Joshua, Joshua cries out to God. He, he, he tears his clothes, he cries out to God and, and God answers him back by saying, guess what? Someone has sinned in the camp. Someone has taken the, the devoted things. And then in verses 13 to 18, we see the process of, of uh, finding out that Achan was the one. It goes from tribe to families to, to finally Achan who had done the, done the terrible thing. And what, what had he done? Come look at verse 19 with me. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Notice, have a look in verse 21, his verbs of wanting I guess what does he say it says he saw he coveted that is he desired it he wanted it and he took the word for saw there is not just like the other day I was I went for a walk and I saw a bird and it just I didn't really care about it no this is more like I saw something I really wanted and my heart wanted more than anything that's the kind of saw that he wanted he coveted and he took it he wanted this and he took it what is his sin here his sin is the sin of greed the sin of greed he, he made an idol out of stuff and he made good things an ultimate thing that is these things were good in and of themselves and yet, even, even though God had said not to take them, he wanted these things more than he wanted God. And so his desire for these things transported them from good things to ultimate things. And he had to have them. His sin was greed. And aren't we lucky that no one, uh, none of us here, you know, suffers from greed at all? And no one in Australia suffers from greed at all. So I'm just going to move on, right? Because no one suffers from greed. No, actually, we all do. But but think about the stupidity. This is totally illogical on one level. His his sin. In the last few days, what he ha- what had he seen? He had seen God dry up the Jordan River. God had brought down the walls of Jericho, and you think he would go? Yeah, I'm going to trust God's word but he doesn't because greed is not a sin of the mind it's a sin of the heart it's a sin of the heart think about achan for a second he has uh, been in the desert for for uh, many years many many years and he's coming into this land of Canaan with Israel so he he sees these gold bars and 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 and, you know the robe and he's thinking one of two things if i have this if i have this stuff i can use it in the future to to get food or shelter or whatever if i have this stuff i will be secure or he's saying if i have this stuff my life will be better my life will be better And isn't that the two things that we say around greed? Either I want all this stuff because then I will have my own security. Or if I have this stuff, my life will be better. Right? One of the things uh, in Kate and my marriage is that we're totally opposites when it comes to uh, to, to money. Right? Kate will look at money through the lens of security. I will look at money through the lens of stuff, right? And so I, so Kate will, will go, we, we've got to be very careful with money because money will actually get us give us security. We'll be able to use it in many different ways. I think about money and I go, well, money can do stuff, right? Money can buy things or money can... Uh, you know, you know, create social, you know, social status, or all, all, all those kind of things. Now, both of us are, are in danger of the of the idolatry of money, because both of us, instead of seeing God as our ultimate security or God as our ultimate thing that will make us happy, we could look to money. We're all we're all in danger of this. In fact, I would say that we live in a Western society that is actually built on greed. And if you look at the New Testament, Jesus actually talks about the problem of money and greed more than anything else. So what should we do? What what we should do is not go, oh, poor Achan, I wouldn't have done that. No, we should think of ourselves as greedy, first and foremost. We should assume that, and we should fight against it. How do we fight against this? Well, in, well, instead of looking to God for security, or, or sorry, sorry, instead of looking to money for security, or money and stuff for making our lives complete, we look to God and Him alone. So, two Corinthians eight nine says this: For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So when you see that in Jesus, you are rich in every way that matters, money will will be seen for what it is, a tool to glorify Jesus. And you will not look to money for security or you will not look to money and things to make your life complete because in Jesus, you are eternally secure. In Jesus, your life is eternally complete. And so what are you looking at? Are you looking to money and taking a good thing and making an ultimate thing in money and being greedy? Are you making Jesus your ultimate thing? The, 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 The sad thing about Achan is what happens to him. He gets found out, and then have a look in verse 25 what happens there. Actually, let's look at verse 24. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan's son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burnt them. Now, when you think about it, he had a gold bar, a silver bar, and, you know, an Armani suit, basically. And he took that and they stoned him to death. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? Or is it? See, it's how you think of God is is the God that you believe in a holy God, or is he much like you and me? See, so if he's a holy God, you will realize that he, he's he got open hostility towards sin. If you think he's a lot like me or you, you, you will go, this is pretty harsh. So it's a bit like this. I'm using a huge prop here. You probably can't see it i'm gonna can you see the little stone that i've got i don't know if you can it's the smallest little stone that i could find in the church car park right imagine that you're doing gardening or you're playing with your kids outside or something like that you get this little stone on your on your arm you probably can't even feel it right because it's just this little small insignificant stone right but imagine you were running along and you know you're running through some dust or something because you're kids kicked it up or something like that and you get this stone in your eye then it's a whole different matter then you're you're trying to get it out as quickly as possible you are using water and everything to get it out I think that's a difference between the way we view sin and the way God views sin the way we view sin is much like the way uh I much like the way we think of if we have a stone on our arm, it doesn't really matter. We can't feel it. It doesn't matter. But to a holy God, sin is like having a little stone in your eye. God wants to be done with it and get it away from him. It, it's totally terrible to him. It's disgusting to him. And that is why He deals with it so, so harshly, so harshly. See, and this is a good thing because you don't want a God to look at evil in this world and go, well, it doesn't matter. No, he deals with it as it should be dealt with. But here's the other thing. I wonder if you struggled with the idea of Achan's whole family getting stoned to death. He admitted that that it was his sin and yet his whole family gets under it. In fact, he got his his cattle and donkeys and sheep. I'm not sure the sheep were really guilty of doing anything. What's happening here, right? I think the reason why we struggle with this is because we're Western. See, and and in the Western worldview, it's very individualistic, right? So I set my agenda. And what happens is I I get punished for my sin or, 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 you know, get glorified for all the good things that I've done or vice versa, right? And yet, in more traditional cultures, it's the family that is a unit together so that if a child or a father or something um, does something great, well, it, it shows... The whole family to be great if they do something terrible it's the opposite i'll give you an example a number of years ago i, I was playing basketball with a mate and um he was talking uh, to me about doing uh he was back doing medicine when i said oh you're back doing medicine what were you doing he said well i, I started off doing medicine and i didn't really want to do it uh because um my, my my family kind of pressured me into doing it and um he came from an asian background and his, his family had worked so hard to get him to, to do the best thing that he could. The best thing that he could was medicine. And, and after about two or three years of medicine, he dropped out. And he decided to be a stand-up comedian for two years. And that brought great shame on his family. He said to me, and I was like, why? And he said, the reason why was, In his family, in his more traditional Chinese family, uh, the choices that children make reflect good or bad on the whole family. Why is that? It is because that uh, if one of the children make a good choice, that assumes that the whole family structure, especially the parents, have brought this child up to do good things. If, the uh, a child does something stupid like dropping out of medicine to become a standard comedian that that assumes that the parents or the whole family has actually helped this child to make stupid choices so the choices of an individual actually reflect good or bad on the family and he said it can feel like you are get the whole family is getting punished because he became tried to become a standard comedian now let me just say he's now a gp he's doing great as a gp he was a terrible standard comedian so it was a dumb idea anyway right but but what you can see is the difference between a western thought and, and the individualistic nature of the west and more a traditional culture which is far more communitarian see in in, in middle eastern cultures if someone in the family does something terrible A lot of the time, the whole family suffers. Or if someone in the family does something good, the whole family does, uh, you know, prospers from it. Think about Rahab from last week. She makes a a declaration of faith in God and her whole family is saved. Here, um, Here, Achan does the wrong thing and his whole family is condemned. But you also see where, I can hit it. Have a look at verse 21 again. It says this. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I covered them. I took them. They are hidden in the ground where inside my tents. So even if he took it, that the whole family would have had to turn a blind eye to this sin. And therefore, the whole family is complicit in either helping him find it, helping him steal it, or at the very least, turning a blind eye. Can I ask you, when it comes to the way you view possessions or the way people around you view possessions, what are you doing? Are you turning a blind eye or are you dealing with it? Here we see the horrible effects that greed greed takes or greed makes on a family in a very ancient culture. But one of the things I'm concerned about for my family is what am I telling them about money? Am I I letting them know that money possessions are a great thing given by a great God to serve him? Or am I actually telling them that money and possessions are things that you can use to make your life fantastic and great? I want to actually say, no, God is the one that makes your life fantastic and great. He may use money and possessions to do that, but money is not your ultimate thing. What are we teaching our children? Uh, and what are, we, what are we doing with our own sin, our own idolatry? Are we turning a blind eye to it or dealing with our coming to a holy God and, and coming before him and seeing that, yes, his holiness means He's he hates sin, but in his love for me, he's dealt with it in Jesus. Uh, are, are we so getting his love for me so much that my heart explodes with gratitude and joy for him so much so that, I don't need money to make my life complete because I've got Jesus. That my heart is so gripped by the gospel that it's not gripped by greed. What about you? Is that you? Here we see a holy God and sin. Let's have a very quickly look at a holy God and his people. Have a look at verse eight with me. Oh, Sorry, verse one of chapter eight. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I. For I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. Notice who, who is giving the Israelites the land. The, the Israelites aren't taking the land. God is giving it to them. But then you read the rest of the chapter, especially verses 2 to 29, and you see the battle. And what you see all the way through, that it is won through strategy and leadership. Have a look at verse 3 with me. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack. I have a look at verse nine. Then Joshua sent them off and they went to the place of ambush and laying wait. Verse 10, early in the morning, Joshua mustered his army. And that night. So what you see all the way through is Joshua is leading and strategizing this great victory, this great battle. And they win. What's interesting here is God says, I'm going to give you the battle. Sorry, give you the city. But how does God achieve his plans? through ordinary means of strategy and leadership. Our awesome God does extraordinary things through ordinary people doing ordinary things and praying extraordinary prayers to our awesome God. Let me repeat that. Our awesome God does extraordinary things through ordinary people doing ordinary things and praying extraordinary prayers to our awesome God. Uh, and just think about our history as a church. Uh, our founding story is that Marsville Community Church, started off as Marsville Mission, as a group of ordinary people here who did not have a, a church in, in the area. What did they do? They got together. The, 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 the few things that they had, That they got together together, um, you know, uh, their money and put it towards building our church building. They got together their money and hired pastors. They were ordinary people doing ordinary things, praying extraordinary prayers to an awesome God and they established Marsville Mission. How is God going to bring a flood of people coming to know him? It's through ordinary people doing ordinary things like inviting their friends to the summer series, like asking their friends, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? It's by ordinary people like you and I praying extraordinary prayers to our awesome God. That's how God acts and achieves his purposes most of the time through ordinary means, with ordinary people. That's how we achieve extraordinary things. But the last thing that we see in this passage is them kind of renewing the covenant at Mount Ebal. From I, this is a couple of days journey at the very least. This is right in the middle of Israel. And in fact, uh, Moses in Deuteronomy 27 said that when you get to the land, go to Ebal, go to Mount Ebal and, and set up a, set up an altar there. And, and he gave them specific instructions. And, and as, as the law is read out to so them, basically the whole law, it's probably all of Deuteronomy and probably right back to Genesis. They're, they're having that, you think the Bible readings I choose along? Nothing compared to that one, right? The whole thing gets read out and what 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 are they reminded of? They're reminded of that God has saved his people from Egypt, that he saved them and he sustained them through the wilderness, that he's giving them this land but they have got to be a holy God. sorry, they've got to be a holy people because he, is a holy God. In fact, if you read um, uh, chapter 27 in Deuteronomy, they're they're meant to stand on opposite sides of of this valley on two different different peaks and two different mountains, and and they're meant to kind of uh, uh, declare these words back to each other. Here's the first thing that they're meant to say to each other. Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a detestable thing to the Lord, the work of skilled hands and sets it up as a secret. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Don't do idolatry. And you can imagine how pertinent those words are. Just only a few days before. A can sin. They had to deal with this community. And now they're saying, guess what? We are not going to do that because we are going to be a holy, a holy God. See, this reading of the law reminded them that they are not only saved, but they are meant to be a holy people, one one set apart from the things that they see in this world, the things that they see in Canaan. They are meant to go into Canaan, but they've got to make sure that Canaan doesn't get into them. And just like they are like us, they were saved from Egypt. We were saved from our sin by Jesus. So so in Jesus, we are made holy in his sight. In Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, the father turned his back on him so you could be welcomed home. The father scorned Jesus so he could welcome you and me. The father took your shame so you could have glory. He took your sin so you would have his holiness. And therefore, in response to that, what are we meant to be? We're meant to be a holy people. A holy people. Akan Sin was kind of done in secret, and yet it affected the whole community, and the whole community had to deal, deal with it. Here on Ebal, they have a very, very public gathering so that in secret we, they would do the right thing. We are the people who come together in public gatherings like this and like church when we can gather together so that our personal lives will be marked by holiness because of what God has done. See, God doesn't just want want you to say that you are a Christian or say that you are saved. He wants you to act like a Christian. He wants you to act like you're saved. He wants you to have a joyful holiness. How do you how do you get to? how do you have this joyful holiness? You keep coming back to the God that has saved you. Keep coming, having um, your heart filled with the fact that He loved you and died for you in Jesus, so that your heart is filled with His love, so that you don't love the things in this world like Achan did, so that you would love Him most of all so that you would be a holy people, a holy person, so that you would be, so that we would be a holy people who is doing extraordinary things through ordinary means, praying extraordinary prayers to our awesome God because we want to glorify him the God who is beautifully holy. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a holy God. And that is confronting for us, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that your holiness is a beautiful thing. And Lord, I thank you that you you are the type of holy God that has brought, um, brought us to yourself, that you have forgiven us for our sin. You have dealt with that. And so, Lord, I pray for us, especially as we all struggle with greed here, because we're all part of being in Australia, which is kind of built on greed a lot of the time. Lord, help us to see our ultimate things, our ultimate security is not found in money or possessions, but in you. And Lord, I pray that we would be truly a holy people that people will be able to see the way that money and possessions don't, don't really have a hold on us, but you do. And Lord, that we would be, we would achieve, or you would achieve extraordinary things through us as we do ordinary things. And we pray to you, our extraordinary and awesome God. Amen.